fantastic guys. It's uh, wonderful to be able to join you. I'm really uh, excited because I have the privilege of actually closing our Abundant Life series. This has been a journey that we've been on now for uh, three months, starting all the way back in January. I know it feels like a long time. And as we have gone through this series, we've been wrestling through, exploring the promise that Jesus made when he says that in Jesus, that we may have life and have it abundantly. And we've been exploring, we've been teasing out what does that practically look like. We've explored what that means for our marriages or our singleness, what that means for our sexuality, what that means uh, for our finances, the workplace, how it shapes every single part of our life. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we've kept seeing this pattern that in each and every single area, we've needed to reorientate our thinking and not define abundance according to the world, but actually according to what we see manifested in the kingdom of God, what we see in the life of Jesus and the disciples, what we see lived and breathed in scripture. And again and again, the pattern has been exactly the same that we need to take these areas that we have and actually surrender them to God. We need to be prepared to lay them down, whatever it may be. And then in that process of surrendering, actually then allow God to kind of reconstruct them. And so what we pick up then is life built around Christ as the cornerstone. Life built around God at the center. And so then everything that is built from that place then is built straight and certain. And I don't know about you, but one of the things or one of the challenges with a series like this is that you keep asking yourself the question of, well, that's all well and good in theory. But what does that actually mean for my life? What does that mean when my life starts facing crises? And chaos? What does that mean when the storms of life whip and swirl around me? And these situations can be both external, they can be things that are outside of our control. As, as Rob said, this is a year on from the first lockdown. These are external situations that are no one's fault, that cannot ever have been predicted, but yet fundamentally change how we have lived our life has meant that that course, that direction that we've had, we've been blown off to the left or the right. Sometimes it could be our own foolishness, the way we manage our money, the way that we uh, maybe don't take responsibility in our marriages or our parenting. Sometimes it's simply our own deliberate sin. But whatever it is, whether it's external circumstances, whether it's our own foolishness, whether it's our own deliberate sin, we need to believe that God's abundance still can manifest even in that moment, even in that situation, and even in that context. And I believe that some of us have gone through this series, and as we've heard the ideal preached, as we've seen what it is that God is calling us into, we've allowed the seed of doubt to creep into our mind. And we start writing ourselves off and saying, there's no way that that could possibly be true in my life. There's no way that my marriage could possibly be restored. There's no way that my finances could possibly turn around. There's no way that I could possibly thrive in my singleness, whatever it may be. Because we've allowed that doubt to creep in. 
We've allowed that kind of that sense of kind of my reality now will be my reality forever. But nowhere in scripture, nowhere in God do we see that the chapter that you're in right now is going to be the chapter for the rest of your life. And there's one thing I want you to take hold of this morning, and it's this idea that, you, that your story isn't finished. Your story is still being written. And so no matter how desperate you are right now, no matter how much there is crisis and chaos in your life, God can and will turn it around if we trust in him. I think the problem is that we get the sense of that my reality today will be my reality tomorrow. And then what we do is we throw up our hands and we give up. We say it will never change. But that's not what we see in scripture. That's not who God actually is. What if the very thing that actually is stopping you from entering into the abundance that God has is the tool that God is wanting to use to turn your situation around? So the question we must ask ourselves then is a simple one. Do we believe that God is bigger than our circumstance? Do we believe that God is bigger than our situation, that he is bigger than the crisis and the chaos that's in our life? Is he truly sovereign? I love Paul wrestling through with this question in Romans chapter 8. He answers it with an emphatic yes, for he says we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, not some things, not partial things, not only godly things, but all things work together for good. If we read a few verses before, uh, we see that Paul reminds us that actually in these moments of crisis and chaos, in these moments of weakness, the Holy Spirit meets us and strengthens us. That in these moments of crisis and chaos, the Holy Spirit actually intercedes on our behalf. And so he's kind of wrestling through in this chapter with this reality that all believers are caught in this tension. We are awaiting our future glorification, something that we know is promised, something that we know will happen, but our present reality today is different. We're struggling, we're suffering, we're going through hard times, again, whether it's through external uh, circumstances, our own foolishness, or our own deliberate sin, whatever it may be, and Paul is writing to encourage the church and says that in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this chaos, if you allow him, God will work to grow you. God will work to sanctify you. God will work to change and transform the situation the circumstance you find yourself in for his glory. So we must ask then, how do we navigate through these moments? How, when we're in the midst of the storm, the midst of the crisis, the midst of the chaos, how do we walk the path with God so that it can be changed, so that it can be um, turned around, so that we can see the manifest promise of God, of his abundance, take hold in our life? For me, there is uh, no better example than King David in this. 
If you think about his life, if you kind of read it in scripture, you see that it's literally he went from one crisis and chaos to another. Like there was a very little kind of times of kind of peace and certainty in his life. Sometimes it was caused by his own foolishness. Sometimes his own deliberate sin. Others because of external circumstances. Think about it. He was persecuted, hunted by Saul. He committed adultery and murder. He lost his child. He saw his family, his children, torn apart, broken, suffering. He suffered under economic downtown. There was famine in the kingdom that impacted him. He was caught up in a civil war. There was even an attempted coup on his throne. Yet again and again in the story of David, we see that he is able to keep his vision straight, that he's able to walk the path of God. And so no matter what happens to him, he's able to experience the fullness, the abundance of God. So what was it? What is it that David knew that allowed him to do this? It was simple. He knew that no matter what he faced, no matter what situation, no matter what difficulty, he would seek God. That's it. There is no kind of complex 28-part formula. There's no kind of difficult strategy. It's as simple as seeking God. What I love about the Psalms, and many of them written by David in all different contexts, is there's this rawness of emotion. There's this pouring out of the reality that he faces. There's this kind of desperation, this heart cry of saying, God, I need you to meet me in this moment. God, I need your help. I need your deliverance. I need your salvation. Psalm 40 is a beautiful example of this. And I want to spend our time together actually kind of unpacking it a little bit and looking at some of the, the, the kind of the steps that we see David go through as he navigates the different crises and chaos in his life. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Psalm 40. We're going to start in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In these few verses, we see David go through three different steps, three different responses to the situation at hand. First, he repents. Second, he resolves. And third, he reaches out. And in all three of these steps, in all three of these stages, he is trusting, he is resting upon the sovereignty of God. He believes that God will meet him in the midst. He believes that God will work in the middle of the situation and transform it and turn it around. So let's start with the first one, repent. David opens Psalm 40 and he dives right in. He wastes no time. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. 
David knew that the only way to get out of the pit, that the only way to get out of the crisis and chaos he was in was to cry out to God. A little later in verse 12, we get a picture of what this cry was. For my troubles without numbers surround me. My sin has overtaken me, and I cannot see. I think there's something so profound in that, this idea that in these moments of crisis and chaos, in our moments of sin, we, we, we lose our sight, we lose our vision, we lose our ability to see what God is doing. There are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. You can feel just the emotion of David in this moment. We don't know what part of his life this is particularly connected to. We don't know what event has kind of spurred him to write this. But we feel the rawness of his pain, the rawness of his desperation. And so this is a prayer of a confession. This is a prayer of repentance. In the Hebrew, the word repent is the word teshuva. And its idea is simply returning. And so when I repent, when I teshuva, I am returning to God. When I repent, when I teshuva, I'm returning to the spacious place that he has created for me. When I repent, when I teshuva, I'm returning to the order that God has laid out that means my foot is secure. I think that's such a beautiful picture. And that's why it doesn't matter whether it's our own foolishness or our own uh, deliberate sin or even external circumstances. That need to repent is simply a need to return to the things of God. It's a need to return back into God's presence, back into the spacious place that he has created for us. I think so many of us, when we, when we face difficult times, our natural response actually is to disconnect. Whether it's to disconnect from God or disconnect from those around us, but we sort of retreat in, and, and, and I think often it's a combination of fear and pride, and we say, I can handle this. I can work out a strategy. I can do this in my own strength. And the more that we retreat, the more that we disconnect, the further and further we go from the place that God has called us. And so that need to repent, that need to teshuva, that need to return is felt more and more. I've lost my job or I've had a pay cut, but I'll keep spending anyway. My marriage is a disaster, but I'll keep doing the same things. We, we, we kind of get this thick skin, this thick headedness, and we don't return to the things of God. I think this is even more pronounced when we think about it in sin. As Rob Hutton says, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It'll keep you there longer than you've ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. And so the first thing we must do, the first step of repentance is to recognize that we're not where we should be to recognize that we have disconnected ourselves from God, to cry out and be honest and, and say to God, God, I long to return. I long to repent. I long to be back in the place that you have created for me. And it means being real. 
It means saying, Lord, my marriage is a mess, but I want to return to what you've said. Lord, my finances are a disaster, but I want to return to what you've promised. Lord, I've fallen sexually, but I want to return to you for your healing and your wholeness. Whatever it may be, whatever it is that is you're hearing as preachers, you've gone through this series that, that has come to your mind, that has kind of clouded you of going, I, I cannot experience that. I'm not experiencing the fullness and abundance. Whatever it is, God today is saying, return to me. Repent. Recognize that you're disconnected. And then we must allow him to show us the path. As David says in verse 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, help me. This is a prayer of a turn. This is a prayer of repentance. This is somebody who recognizes that they are in the pit of destruction, that they're in the miry bog. But it's only God who can bring them back. You see, it's in repentance. It's in returning that we are trusting in the sovereignty of God. That we're saying that there is no situation, that there is nothing that I can do that is too far, that is too evil, that is too wrong, that is too heinous, whatever it may be, that is beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy. There is no place we can go which we cannot return from. The next stage is resolve. Do, uh, uh, David goes on to declare, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You see, God hears David's repentance, his desire to return, and he responds by lifting him out of the crisis, lifting him out of the chaos, and placing him on the rock that is Jesus. When God meets us in that moment of repentance and saves us, we must resolve to stand on the rock which he has provided. We must resolve to say that I will stand on Jesus. And I think this is the mistake that many people make. That God delivers them from their situation. Their marriage turns around. Their finances get good. Whatever it may be. But they end up heading back in the same direction that they came. They don't stand on the rock of Jesus. They don't stand in the secure place that God has provided them. I believe today that there are things that God is actually wanting to tear down in your life. I believe that there are things that God is wanting to remove. And he's actually using that crisis. He's actually using that chaos. He's actually using that storm to be the means that that thing could be torn down. There are areas in our life, if we're honest, that are not built on the rock. There are areas of our life that are not built with Christ as the cornerstone. And what's happened is that the foundations are built on sand. And then as soon as the storms of life, the rain and the wind has come, it's washed away and we are left with nothing. 
But God is wanting to use that. God is wanting to use that opportunity so that you can rebuild on the rock, so that you can rebuild with Christ as your cornerstone. You see, there is no point allowing God to save you for one collapsing building just to run into another. You must trust in the sovereignty of God. We must recognize what God is wanting to do in our life. And when he lifts us up, when he turns the situation around, resolve and say, I will build my life upon the rock of Jesus. And this is what trusting in the sovereignty of God looks like. This is why Paul could declare that all things work together for good. For he knew that God does never waste an opportunity to grow us. That he never wastes a moment or situation to sanctify us. All that he asks is that when he lifts us up, we resolve to stand upon the rock he has provided. That's so much what this discipleship course is about is it's about recognizing and understanding the spacious place in the different parts of our life that God has provided and as we journey through as we allow him to grow us and to sanctify us resolving to say that I'm going to build my life according to God that I'm going to build my life with Christ as the cornerstone that I'm going to build my life upon the rock upon his word which he has given me. You see, so many people, they never step into the abundance that God has for them, no matter how many times God saves them, because they keep heading back to where they came from. You can't keep building. It's, it's useless. It will never last unless you build with Christ your cornerstone. And our final stage, and I love this, is reach out. David says in verse 3, He's put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. There is something unique about the experience that you're going through right now. There's something unique, whether it's based on your personality, your context, your culture, whatever it is, that means that every single person's story is different. But this means that when God breaks in, this means that when God saves you and takes you out of that situation, that there is a unique testimony, that there is a unique song that only you can sing. I love that after all that David has been through, Repentance, resolve, his final desire is to reach out, to testify to what God has done. What is the song that God is writing in you in this moment? What is the testimony of praise that's going to come out of the situation that you're in? You see, our song and our testimony it's not just an act of worship and praise back to God, though it is that for sure. But it's also a means for others to see the glory of God. I love how David puts it. For many to see and fear and put their trust 
in the Lord. There is a song that the Lord is raising up in you. There's a testimony of praise that is developing in your situation right now that will directly connect with someone else in the future. And because of what you've gone through, because you've allowed God to enter it, because you've repented and you've resolved, you can now reach out and they will see the goodness of God in your life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful sense that nothing we go through when we lay it at, at God's feet is wasted? Horatio Spafford, amazing name, was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. Him and his wife knew much tragedy in their life. They lost one of their sons to pneumonia. They lost most of their fortune in the great Chicago fire. And in 1873, he was actually invited out to, to, to speak in the Moody Bible College. And uh, him and his wife were planning to go, and, and suddenly at the last minute, a situation came up that meant he had to stay back to sort it. So he sent his wife and his four children ahead of him. Four days' journey. The ship that Anna and her children were in were hit by another ship. Anna hurriedly brought the four children up onto deck, and she knelt and she prayed that God would spare them if that was his will. Or he would give them the strength to endure what awaited them. Within 12 minutes, the ship slipped beneath the icy waters of the Atlantic. All four of the children died. Only Anna survived. When Anna eventually made it to Cardiff, she sent a telegram saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio booked onto the first ship he could. About four days out, the captain called him to his cabin. The worship band could come up. And he told him that this was the place where the ship had gone down. This is the place where his children had died. And in that moment, Horatio takes out a notepad and a pencil and he writes these words. When peace, like a river, attended my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul he would later turn these verses into the hymn and we sung the chorus earlier it is well with my soul you see for what Horatio and Anna knew was that even though they had lost everything, they were standing on the rock of Jesus. And it meant that they could sing. It meant that they could declare. It meant that they could testify the song that God had put in their mouth. And now over a hundred years later, we're still singing that song. We're still testifying to the goodness of God in their life. And many people will see fear and trust in the Lord because of them. Their story and their testimony has been an encouragement for many because even though they suffered such great loss, they were living in the abundance of God. If you guys can stand with me.
started this series by looking at the idea that Christ alone, that only Jesus, can be the cornerstone in which we build our life. And we've seen week after week this constant reminder that we need to lay it all down, that we need to surrender it to Him and allow Him to show us the fullness and abundance that He offers us. Whatever the situation you're in right now, whatever the crisis, the chaos, the storms that you are going through, this is not your final chapter. This is not the end of the story. This is not how it finishes. I believe with all my heart that there is a new chapter coming, that there is a new part of the story that God is wanting to add. And it's a story where there will be a song and a testimony of praise. But whenever we face these moments of crisis and chaos, we must decide that I'm going to repent, that I'm going to return back to the things of God, that I'm going to resolve to stand upon the rock of Jesus, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to share, and I'm going to declare, and I'm going to sing the song that has come from this experience. Testimony, our, our declaration that no matter what you're facing right 